Hey, I'm Justin, and welcome to the Diabetic Podcast. On here, I talk all things diabetes tech, news, management, and beyond with industry leaders, educators, and those living with diabetes. Today, I'm speaking with Lou Lintor, Medtronic's chief engineer of automated delivery systems, about the updated algorithm in the Medtronic 780G system. Lou is an aerospace engineer by training and has a deep expertise in control theory and is the brains behind the algorithm in this new pump. We talk about the 780G's low target of 100 milligrams per deciliter, the lowest of all available pumps on the market, how they accomplished a seven day infusion set, and how the new algorithm can sense meals and treat better with insulin. This is just one segment of a two-part conversation. I also spoke with Lou about the future of Medtronic, their upcoming Simplera and Instinct disposable CGMs, clue meal detection on Apple Watch, which can basically detect your arm movements while eating. That's coming sometime in the future and how they are currently in the works of acquiring a patch company. Yeah, a pump like Omnipod. Uh, it is a company called EOFlow from South Korea, and yeah, we get into all of that on the video already up on YouTube. I'll throw that in the show notes. If you are a Medtronic user, I'm super curious to hear what your thoughts are on this episode. Comment on YouTube with your thoughts on the 780G system and your experience thus far with Medtronic. Personally, I wasn't very familiar with Medtronic going into this interview, but coming out of it, I feel so much better informed. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube and all major podcast platforms. New videos go up on YouTube every Friday, and I've got a bunch of videos on social media. Links to all that are in today's show notes. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on my social media and YouTube channel is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. All right, let's get into it. Lou, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thanks, Justin, for having me. It's, I'm really excited to speak with you. Of course. Just a little caveat. I don't know a ton about Medtronic. I was just diagnosed two years ago, so I haven't been around. I know Medtronic's been around for a while, so I'm hoping to learn a little bit about Medtronic's past. Before we get into Medtronic, I kind of want to hear a little bit about your background and what led you to work at Medtronic and be such a pivotal, have such a pivotal role in the algorithm and, and other things as well? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, oddly enough, a lot of people who work at Medtronic or in MedTech in general, they have a great story about, you know, I had a relative or a parent who had this condition and I wanted to, and I was an engineer and I wanted to devote my career to solving this problem. And I don't have a story like that. I don't have a history of diabetes in my family or my personal life. Um, I'm actually an aerospace engineer by training, and I, I spent the first half of my career in the aerospace industry uh, working on uh, satellite control systems. I have a background in control theory. That's one of the sub-disciplines of, of aerospace engineering. I did control systems for satellites. I actually worked for NASA for seven years and worked on flight control systems for advanced experimental aircraft. And there's, there's a long story. I'll really compress it. Um, essentially, I was recruited to come over and work in MedTech, specifically Medtronic, uh, because they were looking to, at that time, they, they said, we're, we want to make an artificial pancreas and we need people with backgrounds and control theory 
to come and help us do that. It turns out that uh, in kind of traditional biomedical engineering circles, uh, control theory is not really one of the main disciplines. And so you have to go outside of biomedical engineering to find people with control engineering uh, experience. So people like in aerospace, chemical engineering, electrical engineering, fields like that. And so I was recruited because of my uh, control theory background and experience to come and work on this automatic control system for uh, diabetes products. And I've been with Medtronic now over coming up on 11, or excuse me, coming up on 12 years, actually, and um, just have had tremendous success. And just um, it's just been profoundly impactful on my life to see the impact that these technologies are having on, on, on other people's lives, people who are living with diabetes. So it's just been, a, I think, really a great fit. Now, can you give us a little history of Medtronic? Where, where, where did they stand in the industry and, and kind of what led you to 780G? Sure. So Medtronic is is a, is a very large medical technology company. Um, I, I believe we're the largest med tech company in the world. And we make a variety of products. Kind of our claim to fame for just overall Medtronic are hearts are, are heart related products like pacemakers. You know, you, 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 we, I, I, our company invented the implantable pacemaker, and and so. Uh, but we were very diversified in a lot of different uh, med tech space uh, spaces. And diabetes is one of those uh, spaces we're diversified into. So I, I work in, of course, the Medtronic Diabetes Division. And, um, and we have a history going back into the 80s. You, you probably noticed that um, our, sometimes our products are branded as Minimed uh, Medtronic. And Minimed actually was a startup company back in the 80s that created an insulin pump and a blood glucose sensor. And Medtronic acquired them and just kind of continued that heritage working towards fully automated insulin delivery. And um, uh, we were the first company to take a, uh, an insulin pump and a blood glucose sensor and integrate them so that you could get the sensor talking to the pump and just kind of simplify the experience for people with diabetes. Um, we're the first company to come up with an algorithm, a simple algorithm that suspends insulin when your blood sugar is, is, is below a, a threshold leading to hypoglycemia. So we kind of invented that technology. We were the first company to come up with predictive suspend technologies to Im further improve that. Um, of, of course, we were the first company to come up with a hybrid closed loop technology Back in 2017, we launched our 670G product, and and that was that really radically changed the trajectory of diabetes technology going forward. Now, you know, lots of different companies are coming up with their own versions of, of closed loop technology, kind of building on that uh, that initial experience that that we started in 2017. We also have products. We have standalone glucose sensors. We have um, smart pens or in-pen product. We have that. And, and, and now, of course, you know, we have our 780G advanced hyperclosed loop system uh, that was recently approved and we are now um, launching in the United States. Yeah, quick note on the in-pen. I was a user on the in-pen. That was kind of my transition to a pump. I was using that smart in insulin pen and that worked wonders for me. That was awesome how it could, you know, dose half units and connect to my sensor and kind of give me all that information. It was kind of like an, an insulin pump light, uh, kind of like a good way to get there. So uh, anyone listening, I highly recommend you check it out. I even have a video explaining it on my Instagram. This one of the standout features of the 780G system is its extended infusion set of seven days. Now, to my to my knowledge, other platforms out there that are tubed pumps 
well, even tubeless Omnipod, uh, they only have a maximum wear of three days. How are you able to accomplish a seven day system? Also, like, how are you avoiding scar tissue or infection? Great question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. So for a long time, you think about the innovation that's happened in diabetes technology. You're thinking of sensors, of course. You're thinking of pumps. You're thinking of algorithms. You're not really thinking so much about infusion sets. You know, it's just been kind of like the, the necessary deal with with uh, insulin pumps as you have infusion set last two to three days, you got to change it, move it around. Okay. Maybe get scarring. Uh, and then eventually, you know, after years of, of diabetes, you start actually running out of real estate on your body for, for this. And so we actually took a really hard look at that and it's like, well, what's, what's causing this? What, why do infusion sets only last two or three days? And, um, we started digging into it. And we found that really the, the root cause was um, insulin naturally wants to aggregate. Um, some, the, the technical term sometimes is called fibrillation. So the, the insulin molecules tend to want to link up together and, and, and aggregate and clump up and form chains of insulin. And those longer aggregated chains of insulin they don't absorb well in the body. They get into the infusion site and they just kind of sit there and they can't really absorb. And so for lack of a better term, they kind of clog up the, the, the infusion site. And then that, that naturally leads to a kind of a, a shelf life for, for that infusion site before you have to replace it. And so um, with that in mind, we said, well, we can't, we're not an insulin company, so we can't change the formulation, but let's, let's look into like, what, what can we do to help prevent this? And we found a couple things. One is, is that the preservative in the insulin, just like the insulin itself, tends to kind of break down over time. And if we can preserve the preservative longer, uh, which is what's preventing that aggregation, that can that can help. And we found that there were coatings that we could apply in the reservoir and in the different materials in the infusion set that could actually help the the preservative last longer. So that was one thing we did. And but that's it's it's not perfect, you know. But you get, insulin will still aggregate even if the preservative's there. And so the next step is well. If we do get still get some aggregation, how can we prevent that from actually getting into the site? And so, um, just keeping it high level, we developed a kind of a filtration system in the infusion set itself that can capture aggregated insulin to prevent it from getting into the site. And so, those technologies working together have actually allowed us to extend the life of the infusion set to seven days, which is a tremendous um, improvement for patients, um, uh, people with diabetes. They no longer have to move around every two or three days. It, 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 it keeps their, their real estate, it prolongs that, that for as, as long as possible. Um, so it, it's, it's a really great innovation and I'm, I'm really happy we were able to come up with a technology to solve that problem. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I'm on Omnipod right now and in seven days, I switch it out three times, right? Because it's three, three, and then the first of the next one. So that seven days is 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 huge. Now, is this infusion set proprietary? Is that Medtronic's infusion set that you're using? It's it's Medtronic technology. Yes, it's proprietary wow. Medtronic technology in that infusion set. Okay, got it. Wow. So those other companies are going to have to work hard. They can't just go <laughs> buy it at the store. Very yeah. cool. Now, how much? insulin goes into the pump and do, are you able to, well, how much insulin is there? And then are you able to like re up on insulin while keeping that infusion site or like, how does that work? Yeah. So the, the 780 G system has uh, three milliliters or 300 units of U100 insulin. That's what it can hold. And, and it's a very perceptive observation. Some people 
will use that amount of insulin in less than seven days. And so uh, with the 780G, you are able to keep the infusion set on your body and just refill the reservoir and replace the reservoir and reconnect it. So if you use more than that, you can you don't have to replace your infusion set before it's time. You can just refill the reservoir. Wow. Okay. So with that innovation of seven days for the infusion set, something that maybe was a little bit of a disappointment as someone who wears Dexcom with the 10 day wear, and then there's Libre 3 with the 14, 14 day wear. Then there's the Guardian 4 CGM that works with this system, all integrated. That only has a seven day wear. Can you speak on that? Why is that only seven days? So the, the Guardian 4 sensor, it builds on the same basic sensor technology as our Guardian Sensor 3. So the, the sensor itself is is the same sensor. Um, uh, we, we made some manufacturing improvements and you know some minor improvements, but fundamentally it's, it's the same sensor and it has a seven-day uh, life. Uh, what we really improved on in the in the Guardian 4 sensor was not so much the sensor itself, but was the the signal processing technology that is is integrated into the transmitter that actually computes the sensor glucose value from the raw sensor measurement. And and that's what allows us to have take basically a Guardian 3 sensor and make it a zero calibration version. And that was the step we took with the Guardian 4 sensor. Now, future generations of our sensor, we are working hard to extend the the wear time of those uh, of our future sensors, but you're correct the Guardian 4 is, is a 7-day wear. Yeah, we're totally going to get into the future of your CGM wear with Simplera in a separate conversation that's going up on YouTube and will already be up by the time people are watching this. Now, how does it work? I've never used Medtronic, so I don't know like how the CGM works when it comes to like, I hear you have to charge it. What is that system like? Guardian 4. You have to okay. charge that sensor, right? You charge a transmitter. So the Guardian 4 is a it's a two-piece design. It has a disposable sensor and a durable, reusable transmitter. And so you would put the sensor in and you would um, recharge the transmitter and then connect the, the transmitter. And then after the seven-day wear, you would pull the device off, disconnect the transmitter, charge it, and then you throw the sensor away and then restart a new one. Okay. And I know there are no finger sticks necessary, but can you calibrate the CGM? So the, the the Guardian 4 sensor does not require finger sticks for calibration. And when you're using SmartGuard, you don't require finger sticks for any therapy at all, for bolusing or anything like that. You can just use a sensor measurement for all of your therapy needs. Uh, if you do enter a finger stick, though, uh, some people still like to check their blood sugar, maybe check the accuracy of the sensor for whatever reason. If you do enter a finger stick, it will actually use that finger stick to calibrate the sensor. So, that, so we use that to our advantage to, to help the sensor become even more accurate if it can, but it's not necessary. Now with the algorithm, there's a lot to talk here. Now let's start a little broad. How has the algorithm changed from the last version, the 670G? Yeah, so we made lots of changes in the algorithm, uh, and and we kind of when we approached the changes, we we broke them into kind of two categories, and and we started this this whole journey for the 780G by going back to healthcare providers, going back to patients who wore our 670G and 770G, and frankly, just asked them, you know, what did they like? What did they didn't, didn't like? Um, what things would they improve in the next generation system? And the feedback we got, we got a couple major themes of feedback. One, one area was we wanted a better user experience. 
we like the safety features. We like the therapy. You know, it, that's all good. But we want a better user experience. We don't like when the, the system, for example, might ask for a finger stick. Um, to make sure that the sensor is still accurate. Or sometimes um, it might exit me from closed loop and I have to get back into closed loop. And, and so it doesn't happen very often necessarily, but it's often enough to just, you know, the, the you know, p people with diabetes, they were noticing that and they said, we would really like you to improve in that area. Uh, and so we made lots of changes to the safety features in the algorithm to improve that user experience. And I want to be very careful here. We did not move the bar on safety. We actually, we looked at a lot of data and we, we determined that we could actually relax all the safety features that we built in, which were actually causing these alerts and these, these exits, relax them in such a way that we could provide a far better user experience without sacrificing the safety of the system. The 780G is just as safe as the 670G and 770G, but the rate of alerts for, uh, relate from, uh, coming from those safety features is dramatically reduced, so a much better experience. So that was one, one main theme. The other theme was on therapy itself. And this was actually coming mo mostly from the patients directly, uh, where the, the patients were saying things like, you know, that, that set point that you have, 120 milligrams per deciliter, that's where we're trying to steer the patient's glucose at all times. That's good. My doctor says that's healthy, but I want to be lower. I want to be lower than that. I want to be more like 100, if you can. And that's a little trickier because, of course, we value safety tremendously. I think our patients, uh, patients value safety as well. Lowering the set point you know, tends to bring you closer to maybe a danger zone for hypoglycemia if, if there's a mistake made, but we found a way to do it. Uh, we found a way to provide a set point that's as low as 100 milligrams per deciliter. And more than that, we actually now provide some choice in the set points. So in the 670G and 770G, there is a single set point at 120. Now we offer three. We offer 100, which is actually the recommended setting. We offer 110 and 120. So you can match the, the set point to your, your preferences and your needs. Uh, but again, we do recommend that 100 milligram per deciliter set point for really the best outcomes. A question about those ranges. Is that is is that a target like number or is it a target range? Like, is it a bracket like, you know, 90 to 110? Is that like 100 millig milli milligram per deciliter? I need to memorize that. Yeah. <laughs> or, or is it just getting you to that? It's going to that number. Does that make sense? Yes. And another excellent question that it's, it, it, we call our system a treat to target system and we, we differentiate it from what we might call a treat to range system. And you kind of described it pretty nicely. So uh, a treat to target system, which again is what we are, is we set up a set point and we are actively every five minutes adjusting insulin doses, not just auto basal insulin doses, but auto correction do doses to try to actively drive you exactly to that set point every five minutes. And so if you're a little above the set point, you're 105 milligrams per deciliter, we're going to give you a little more insulin to try to get you exactly to 100. And so that's that's a treat to target. And as you kind of indicated, there are other philosophies out there for automated uh, insulin delivery. Um, the other major vein is a treat to range system where they say, well, let's set up a healthy range 
of, of glucose values, not necessarily a specific value, but you know, a range of values. And um, we're, our goal is to try to keep you in that range, not necessarily drive you to a particular number in that range, but just kind of keep you in that range. Um, and so um, that's not the approach we took. We, t we have a treat to target. We, we think it's, it's, it's actually the best approach, but uh, I, I, that's perhaps still up for debate. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and for those of you who are listening outside the U.S., the 100 milligrams per deciliter is 5.5 millimoles per liter as the uh, the lowest you can go with range, which is the lowest of any company, correct me if I'm wrong, that is already available on the market correct. To, correct. to use. 100 is, is the lowest yeah. that available. Yeah. Yes. What about activity? Uh, is, is 120 milligrams per deciliter is that high enough for working out i have temp i'm a diy looper many of my viewers know that i'm able to set my range i set it at 200 milligrams per uh per deciliter as well as lower my basal rate i'm able to tell my pump to do that what would you say people should do if they're going to be exercising is it enough to just put it on 120, you're not going to go low if you go on a five mile run or like, what are they going to have to do? We have a feature for that. <laughs> we have, uh, we, we have a feature. It's, we call it temporary target, temp target. And, um, I mentioned that there were three set points that are available in the 780G. That's a little bit of a fib. There's actually a fourth one, uh, that is, is given by this temp target. Uh, the temporary target you can set um, it, it's a set point of 150 milligrams per deciliter, and you can set it for a, a programmable length of time up to 24 hours if you want. Uh, but uh, typically, that's the feature we recommend that people use during exercise, especially if, if they have a history of maybe having some hypoglycemia during certain types of exercise. Uh, we say go ahead and set that temp target maybe an hour, two hours before you start exercising uh, to allow your blood sugar to kind of rise to that higher level and to give you extra buffer against hypoglycemia so that when you do start exercising, you, you don't have a hypo, you just kind of land more in range. And so that, that's the feature that we have designed specifically for that. Yeah, I have to say for people listening, that one, two hours ahead of time is so, so key for not going low. I, I, I never go low working out because, I'm, because I do that so early. The times that I do forget, which are, you know, sometimes I do it like 20 minutes before and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like I could go low. So I have to like prepare a little bit. So that, that was a great point to hit. I'm really glad that we hit that. Yep. Now let's get into bolusing and, and food intake because something really stood out to me. So I was speaking to my diabetes educator before I got into this interview and she was telling me that your sales reps are presenting a study to educators that your algorithm is suited to be more aggressive when you eat. So if someone eats up to 70 grams of carbs and they forget to bolus, your system is built to kind of safeguard that. Can you explain what that is and, and how you're achieving that? Yes. So um, what they're talking about is a technology that we built into the 780G uh, uh, system for the very first time, we call it meal detection technology. I want to be careful here. This, the 780G, you are still, you're still supposed to bolus for your meals. It's not designed as a system that's completely, okay, you, bolusing is optional or you don't have to bolus for certain amounts of carbs. We still recommend that you bolus for all of your meals. Having said that, we have meal detection technology built into the system 
that can detect uh, the presence of a meal based on sensor glucose trends. And if we detect a meal, we actually allow uh, the automatic correction boluses that can be given every five minutes to be stronger than they would have otherwise without meal detection. And so we detect a meal, we say, okay, let's, let's let some stronger corrections go in. We think it's safe. We're not going to produce hypoglycemia given, given this pattern of rising glucose. And, and that is actually, we kind of describe it as offering some forgiveness for meals because you and I both know not everybody is great at counting carbs and figuring out how much insulin they should have for a meal. Or oftentimes people will forget to bolus and that's just a, a natural human error. They forget to bolus for the meal and now they are contending with high glucose for long periods of time. This meal detection technology and that meal forgiveness it gives you allows you to recover much faster from those mistakes. So you're not going to go as high. You're going to come back into range faster if you undercount carbs for a meal or, or miss that occasional meal bolus. Now, what happens? What if I forgot to bolus my meal, which happens so rarely, but when it does, I freak out. Let's say it's 20 minutes later. I just ate my food or sorry, I ate my food 20 minutes ago. What should I do if I'm on the 780G system? Do I log that or do I let the system do its thing? Like, is there a way to do it late? Yeah, so you can, you can announce a meal anytime you want. Or, you know, preferably, of course, you're a little before you actually eat. Um, but once you start getting out 30 minutes after you eat or longer than that, um, a lot of what we're hearing is is people are saying just, let the system work. Just, you know, I mean, it's, it's not going to be, your outcomes are not necessarily going to be as good as uh, if you had pre-bolus that meal like you should have, but, you know, just let the algorithm go and, you know, bolus for the next meal. And, and that should, the, the, the correction boluses, the action of the correction boluses should be sufficient to eventually get you back into range. So it's a, it's a little bit difficult to give like an exact answer to that because everybody is different. What you eat is going to be different um, depending on what you ate and how you're bolusing late, you know, might, might change your behaviors. But just some some guidelines in terms of uh, with, with meal detection technology, you can put some more trust into the system and let it do its thing without worrying about like how to manage a late bolus. Okay, great. Can you explain to me what the like two hour active insulin time is in the algorithm? Like, I mean, from what I've learned is like, you know, insulin's in your body from like four to six hours. Is that, I don't know. I think that's around the time. What does the two hour active insulin mean? Yeah. What, what you're referring to is our recommended setting for the active insulin time. So there's an, there's an insulin active insulin time setting in the pump that basically governs, um, it, 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 it tracks all of your bolus insulin and, and tells the system how fast that bolus insulin basically washes out of your system. And so if you have a four-hour active insulin time, you take a bolus, um, four hours later, all of that bolus insulin is going to be washed out of your system. And, and typically that's been set to some kind of physiological value, uh, generally in the range of maybe three to four hours. Um, but we're actually recommending in 780G to set it to two hours. And, um, and that's, you know, confuse some people and you're asking the question here and you, know, why, why do we do that? Well, we, we found that the, the faster we can you know, act like the insulin is washed out of your system, the sooner 
we can give stronger correction boluses for like that that time we just talked about. You missed a meal and the meal detection detects it. Um, the less active insulin um, on board that you have recorded in the system, the sooner the correction boluses can act and the stronger they're going to be. Because the correction bolus calculation that is kind of the foundation of our automatic correction boluses adjusts for active insulin. And so if you have a long active insulin time and you have a lot of insulin recorded in your system from previous boluses, well, that time when you miss a, a meal bolus, the, those initial corrections are not going to be as strong as they could have been. And so uh, we found through our, our research and of course our clinical studies prove this out, the sooner we can get insulin in your body, once your blood sugar starts rising, the, the better your outcomes are going to be. And by setting the, out, the active insulin time setting to two hours, we can get insulin into your body as soon as possible. Once your glucose starts rising above actually 120 milligrams per deciliter, we're going to start looking for opportunities to correct it. When it comes to auto mode, a lot of people have reported that they were getting kicked off with the last system, the 670G. Has that been resolved with the 780G? And if there still are sometimes when people get kicked off, can you explain kind of like how often people are seeing that? Yeah. So the the getting kicked off of auto mode, yeah, that is a it's it's actually one of the safety features that we built in to the original 670G hybrid closed loop algorithm. Um, we took a hard look at that and decided with there are still maybe some very rare cases where you might have to kick somebody out of auto mode or exit them from auto mode, but it's it's extremely rare now. Uh, you know, before we were maybe getting it depends on the user, but we might have been getting an exit, you know, on the order of maybe once every few days, once a week for for most users. And 780G, while an exit can, is still theoretically possible. In some cases, it's extremely rare. It, it very rarely happens to people in the 780G. And so the vast majority of people, their experience is they're really never getting exited uh, from the system. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Europe has had the 780G system for about two years, a little over More two like years. Almost three years, yeah. Almost three years. Yeah. What has been the improvement that you've seen in time and range from the 780G uh, based uh, related or compared to the 670G. Have it's, you seen an increase in time and range? Oh, absolutely. And it's quite dramatic. Um, uh, the 670G system and real world data, we are getting about 72%, 73% time and range, which is outstanding. It meets American Diabetes Association guidelines for time and range of over 70%. So we're very proud of that number. But we, of course, we're always trying to raise the bar. 780G and real-world data in Europe, where, again, we've had this system out for a few years, uh, patients who use the recommended settings, which are that two-hour active insulin time that we talked about, and also the lowest set point of 100 milligrams per deciliter, are getting a time and range in excess of 80%, which is a huge improvement. Uh, I mean, normally, you know, in, in R&D, we would be, you know, doing backflips if we introduced uh, some improvement that gave us maybe two or three percent improvement in time and range. And now we're getting like eight percent improvement, nine percent improvement uh, with with 780G. So it's it's just a really a a major leap forward in the quality of therapy that patients are getting. Yeah. Well, you and I know that one of the main obstacles with closed loop systems, right, is is the necessity or, or for them to be better is the necessity for innovation in insulin as well, right? There's only so 
fantastic an algorithm can get, but it's, it's always going to be held back a bit by insulin innovation. So right now we have, there's lots of types of insulin, but some of the most commonly used are fast and now rapid. I'm so new to this, I don't know how long these things have existed, but I know that with Medtronic 780G, it supports Novolog and Humalog, both fast-acting insulins. Why didn't you work, or why didn't you work on an algorithm that also supports Leumgev and Fiosp, which are rapid-acting, which you're able to kind of control blood sugar better with? Yeah, so um, we actually are doing studies with Fiosp and Leumgev. to to actually get these insulins approved with 780G. Uh, they are different insulins, so unfortunately you have to, every combination, at least as it is today, every combination of insulins and system, you have to do a separate clinical study, and that just takes time. And um, But we found that even with like a, a, a more rapid-acting insulin like a Fiesp or Lumgev, we actually don't need to change the algorithm at all to to ac- accommodate those, to those, those insulins. We can put... Uh, those insulins in the um, the seven at least that's how we're studying it. Um, we can put those insulins in the existing 780G, and and we expect to have very good outcomes. So again, it's not approved for that yet, but but we are studying it that way. And uh, now that's not to say that we 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 could have made maybe some additional optimizations in the algorithm to to really take advantage of the additional speed that we're getting, you know, from these insulins, we just find that we didn't have to. Uh, and, uh, and so maybe down the road, we might have algorithms that are tailored to actually specific insulin types to just eke out every ounce of performance that we can get. Um, but so far, uh, we can, we can just use, or we, we believe anyway, we can just use the more rapid acting insulins in our current algorithm. That's fascinating. Is there some sort of timeline? Is that with the FDA or is that still with you? And do you have any idea of like when we could see this? Months, years? Yeah, I won't. I won't. Uh, unfortunately, I won't talk about <laughs> timelines here. Uh, <laughs> but I will say we are studying it. And then, even, and then okay. after the study, it, it has to go through an FDA approval process. So yeah, it, it, it does. Okay. It does take time. Yeah. Great. So I know Medtronic has a huge base of users, but I also know many people that have switched from Medtronic to other systems because they felt like Medtronic was lagging behind. To those people and to people on other systems, what would what would you say about your algorithm? Why should they use Medtronic over other systems? What makes it more competitive? Well, number one, it's it's about the therapy. We give and we have the clinical results and the real world data to show that our system gives the best therapy outcomes, hands down. Um, and, and there are there are reasons for that. Uh, I, I've touched on a few of them. One is we offer the lowest set point possible. We're a treat to target system, not a treat to range system. So we we can we're actually actively trying to get you to a specific number, not just within a kind of a broad range. We can we we do automatic correction boluses every five minutes, is, is, which is, is, is frequently as we're delivering uh, autobasal insulin. Uh, we're, not, we're not delivering a bolus and then waiting an hour for the next bolus, for example. Uh, so uh, we have meal detection technology, which can take advantage of times when your glucose is rising and you haven't announced a meal, that it can give you even stronger correction doses in that time. So co- the combination of all those, those technologies put together amounts to a system, and again, the clinical data backs it up and the real-world data backs it up, that gives really the best outcomes of, of any system out there. So I would say it's all about the outcomes. This, the, this system will give you the best outcomes. 
Great. And let's get into the app. I don't know much about it. I've mostly seen like the main promotion image of a phone, a watch. So tell me about this. What does the phone app look like and what does the watch app look like? The phone app and the watch app are meant to largely mimic what you would see on the pump screen. So the, the idea is, is that you can't yet anyway, you can't control the pump directly from the app, but you can at least take a peek at what your pump looks like. So if you just want to look at your blood sugar, uh, if you want to see if you're in SmartGuard or not, uh, you, how much insulin have I gotten recently, things like that. Um, you can just do that very discreetly uh, on your uh, smartphone app or on an Apple Watch if you, have, if you have that working for you. And so the idea was trying to uh, reduce the, the burden of uh, that, that social burden of having diabetes, of having to like pull out an insulin pump in the middle of class, you know, if you wanted to check your sugar. Um, now you can just check up on it on a, very discreetly on a smartphone or on your Apple Watch. And so that's that's the idea there. Now, in the future, uh, we're working on technologies where all the pump control can be done through the smartphone without actually having to touch the pump. Uh, but, but with the 780G, it's a display device. Uh, but the app actually offers additional benefits too beyond the discretion I talked about. For example, uh, through the app, you can now upload data automatically to our CareLink system so that your doctor can see your latest and greatest data whenever your doctor wants to. Like right when you come into the office, boom, your report can be ready for you. Uh, it uh, allows also a pathway for remote care partners. So if you're a child with diabetes, your parent, wherever they are, can be monitoring your therapy, making sure that you're, you've taken your bolus for lunch or making sure that your blood sugar is, is in the right range uh, from wherever they are. And it also offers a, a pathway, a, a route by which we can do software upgrades to the pump. So great example, that's apropos what we're talking about, uh, current 770G users, uh, if they have the MiniMed mobile app uh, as well, and the and the the they can download a a, uh, a a a software updater app and update their pump uh, firmware from the 770G to the 780G right through uh, an app. And so the the combination of the app and the Bluetooth technology really opens up all these new avenues for people that were not available in our former generation pumps. Yeah, just a quick note on the 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 watch app. Personally, I love having like the ability to see my blood sugar alone on my watch being super discreet and also just not taking away from the movement, the the moment rather, is fantastic. So I'm really happy to hear that Medtronic has that too. On the watch app, can you see anything? I know you were saying on the phone you could see a bunch of things, but on the watch app, can you see anything beyond the, sh the, the level number? Like it does it also show you like insulin on board or any other information? It does show you active insulin, yeah. So it will show you active insulin and your number and say an indication of the shield indicating that whether you're in smart guard or not. So it gives you that level of information. That's great. So you mentioned Apple Watch. All the promotion, the promotional images have iPhones and Apple Watches. Will this be available on Android and any other Android smartwatches or any other smartwatches in general? We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, eventually, yes. Okay, so initially, only Apple products. Correct. Okay, okay, oh, well, the, the Apple, okay, the Apple Watch, it will only work with the Apple Watch. It will work, uh, I, I, maybe I misinterpreted your question. The, um, 
the the MiniMed mobile app can work on both Apple and Android phones, but the watch itself is only an Apple Watch. Okay, it's, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I Great. maybe maybe I confused you a little bit, but yeah. No worries. Now, is the 780G available in the U.S. now? Is that here? It is. It's it's approved. Um, we've and we have already uh, we've been, we've been taking pre-orders since last month, and um, we've actually already started rolling it out to to patients. So it's it's available. And how are people getting it? Are they getting it over the air as an update? It's not a new pump, right? It's just it's software, correct? It, it's a software update. So if if you have a a 770G pump right now, you can get. Uh, the the software of that pump updated to 780G without having to replace your your pump. Uh, if you obviously if you don't have a 770G, um, like say you have a 670G, then you would ha need to get a new pump for that. Okay, great. And how you may not know the answer to this, but how does this work with insurance? Is that software update considered like you're on another four years with this pump, or is it just like? Your pump's getting updated. You still have that same pump. You know, do you know how that works? Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have, and I, this is, this is a little bit out of my, my specialty. So I apologize, yeah. but, um, but basically you, you need a prescription. Um, the, the software update is, is free. Um, uh, that's, that's basically the, the extent of my, okay. extent of my knowledge. Yeah. So we're okay. not, we're not charging you for a software update. If, you know, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. So in our other conversation, we're going to talk a lot about Simplera, the future of Medtronic and some other um, meal meal tracking. But I do want to talk here a little bit about the future of diabetes tech in general. Yep. Uh, we already kind of hit on my first question uh, a little bit uh, with insulin, um, insulin innovation. Do you see insulin innovation coming anytime soon? Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, we we know, for example, that uh, Fiasp is is available. Uh, there's uh, another rapid acting insulin, Lumjev, uh, that's out there. Uh, and but beyond that, the the pharmaceutical companies are working on even more rapid acting insulins that are that are more experimental. And uh, and so these are I can't speak on their timelines. It's a you know different company, of course, but we know they're working on them. And, and actually, we've been engaging with some of these companies to to try to, to figure out how we can get these study, these these ultra rapid insulins, if you might might want to call them that uh, in our systems and and perhaps even tailor our systems, as I was suggesting earlier, to their specific formulation to get the most performance uh, out, out of it. Yeah, they're going to have some trouble figuring out what the what the name of it is. We're rapid. Like how much faster can rapid yeah. get? Like just terminology, ultra rapid. I, I like that idea. Now, what about you? What excites you most about the future of diabetes technology? What do you want to see in the future? Yeah. Oh boy. Well, you know, we're working on some really, some, some great technologies that, um, uh, shows our commitment to simplifying diabetes management uh, for for people with diabetes. You know, I so now my first love is the the closed loop algorithm. That's you know I you know an algorithm you know I, that, that's my specialty so to speak in, in in my in my engineering background. And we are working very fast on the next level of, of automation, uh, trying to figure out like, how can we take say meal detection to the next level to take as much 
uh, of that uh, burden away from patients when it comes to counting carbs for meals or having to bolus for meals? Um, can we can we eliminate that need altogether with with enhancements to meal detection? So we're working on that. That's and it's it just it's fantastic. I mean, super motivating. But that's not all. <laughs> we're we're working on our next generation sensors, as as we we talked about briefly. We'll talk about probably in the next session uh, with. Uh, Simplera and Instinct. Instinct is the version of that next generation system that would come integrated with our 780G pump and, and future pumps. Uh, you've probably seen in the news that we acquired a company recently, um, EOFlow, uh, that uh, is a patch pump. And so uh, we are going to start working very quickly on integrating our closed loop algorithms into this EOFlow patch pump. And so wow. you combine, I mean, you just think of, 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 of what we're sitting on right now. It's, it's fantastic and it's super motivating. We have a, a patch pump, we have a next generation uh, sensor, and we've got a, a, a closed loop pipeline that's going to, uh, you know, ideally eliminate the need for carb counting and, and meal announcements for users. And you put those, those three together and you have a, it just a, a wonderful technology where you can actually allow people to forget they have diabetes, which is really what we're going for. Some big stuff there. I, I didn't know about the patch pump. I, I'm very curious in that. We'll probably touch on that in the next session now because <laughs> that that's very exciting. Now, this, this last question has kind of become my trademark question. Um, and I think it's, it's a cool one to ask. So I'm part of the DIY community. I'm a looper, what people call, and, and I use a system not cleared by the FDA. But I think the story behind it, which I actually touch in an episode of my podcast, The Origins of DIY Loop, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story of just people, smart people like you, who are affected by um, diabetes in their life, people, family members, whatever, they came together, they created this software to help people and push pharma in 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 an even faster, at a faster pace. What do you think about this community? How do you feel about these people? You know, whether or not it's FDA cleared, what do you think of this group of people? How does that make you feel? You know, I'm, I'm actually a little indifferent. I mean, of course, I would love everybody to, to be on our system. And so I, I look at it, it's, that's a challenge to us. It's like, what are we not offering? that the DIY community is looking for so to where they are willing to kind of take the therapy into their own hands and maybe take some risks, you know, with, with their therapy on an ex, kind of an experimental system. Um, and they're willing to do that because we are not offering them something that they want. And so I look at that as a challenge to us is how do we produce a system with a level of automation, with the ease of use and, you know, all those things to take that burden away where it's, it's so compelling that the DIY community is simply evaporates. They just all come over to, to our system. So that's my goal until then. It's like, you know, it, it, my mission is trying to figure out what is it about the DIY systems that is more compelling than our system. And we need to, raise our bar above that level. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that that's such a different take on that question. And, and that's amazing. I think that's what the power of that community is, right? It's pushing forward in their own ways, because they may not be held as much by regulation and showing you what is possible so that you can provide those at a very safe and regulated way as you know, as things ultimately should be. These, yep. this, this is your health and, and this, these are our lives. So super important. Lou, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was such an insightful conversation. Hearing about the algorithm from, from you felt like so special and <laughs> it was just so interesting. So thank you so much.
Well, thank you for having me, Justin. It was, it was a real pleasure. I, I enjoyed the, the, the conversation today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I just want to clarify one thing that Lou said. Medtronic currently is working on acquiring that patch company, EOflow, but the deal hasn't closed yet. Medtronic will have more details to share on that when it does close, so I'll definitely have them on again to speak about that. Check out my other conversation with Lou on YouTube. We talk about their upcoming Simplera and Instinct Disposable CGMs, how they're working on meal detection and bolusing by just tracking arm movement while eating, and about their plan to acquire the South Korean patch pump company EOflow. There is a link to that in today's show notes. New episodes of this show release every Monday on YouTube and all major podcast platforms, and new videos go up on YouTube every Friday and on social media all the time. Until next time, I'm Justin, and I'll tech you later.